Asset bubbles don't burst overnight. That's why betting against a bubble requires incredible investing discipline. If you're frustrated the current stock market bubble seems to be deflating so slowly, you're not alone. Everyone who calls a bull market bubble requires incredible fortitude and investing discipline because it can take such a long time before you are ultimately proven right. This period of waiting can be a particularly painful experience as you watch stock prices continue to relentlessly rise. Many investors throw in the towel far too soon and reinvest far too early. It's completely normal to doubt your conviction when betting against a bubble. When one pictures a bubble bursting, we tend to think of a sudden, unexpected event crashing the market. However, this is not the case in stock markets. Asset bubbles don't burst overnight. A deflating asset bubble can take many months or even years to unwind. It's an evolution, not a revolution. That's why betting against a bubble requires incredible investing discipline. The Big Short Michael Burry started the hedge fund Cyan Capital in 2000. Although known for his skill in value investing, Cyan Capital made incredible returns between 2000 to 2002 by shorting wildly overvalued technology stocks. By 2004, Burry was managing $600 million and was turning away new investors. According to the movie, The Big Short, Burry became interested in mortgages offering teaser rates to encourage new buyers into the already red-hot real estate market. After analyzing the individual mortgages making up the worst tranches of mortgage-backed securities, Burry realized many mortgage holders with terrible credit, subprime mortgages, would likely be unable to make their mortgage payments when the introductory interest rate period expired and a new higher variable interest rate was applied to the mortgage. In anticipation of a collapsing real estate market, Burry convinced six investment firms in mid-2005 to sell Cyan Capital credit default swaps. Bankers were more than happy to sell the swaps to Burry because they incorrectly believed the mortgage-backed securities Burry was betting against were so risk-diversified they couldn't lose significant value. The bankers turned out to be dead wrong. House prices started to decline and by mid-2006, prices were declining steeply. New home permits also dropped nearly 30% from the previous year. According to the FBI, mortgage fraud leading up to the housing crash was rampant all over the U.S. Although some economists initially welcomed the cooling housing market, it became clear to the Federal Reserve by the summer of 2007, banks didn't have enough liquidity to function. Many mortgage holders incorrectly believed real estate prices would keep rising indefinitely. When homeowners realized property prices were actually falling and they were now holding properties valued significantly lower than the loan they had taken from the banks, many mortgage holders simply walked away from their hopelessly overpriced homes. Around the same time, those problematic teaser mortgage rates that Burry identified in 2005, started resetting at higher interest rates. As a result, even property owners who wanted to hold on to their property started coming under financial pressure. Mortgage delinquencies soared and the value of the mortgage-backed securities that held many of these subprime mortgages started to rapidly lose value. Burry and his investors profited hundreds of millions of dollars as a result. However, it wasn't all smooth sailing for Burry. According to the movie, The Big Short, Burry faced intense criticism from investors when he announced the purchase of credit default swaps. Like the bankers who sold the swaps to Burry in the first place, investors didn't understand how precarious the housing market was and how vulnerable mortgage-backed securities were to a serious downturn in the housing market. Scient Capital was required to pay huge monthly premiums to the banks who issued the $1 billion swap contracts to Burry. 
Investors were furious and many demanded Burry reverse the contracts or return capital to them. Burry responded by restricting redemptions to avoid breaching the various swap contracts Scion Capital had entered. Burry's largest investor, Lawrence Fields, eventually sued Burry in an attempt to get his money back. Perhaps luckily for everyone, before the court case could be settled, the subprime market collapsed and Burry's swap contract suddenly soared. Scion Capital made a net profit of $2.69 billion and Lawrence Fields ended up receiving $489 million of that net profit personally. However, to achieve this incredible success, Burry had to display incredible investing discipline. Not only did he have to fight his own doubt, but he was also forced to fight his own investors for a full two years before finally realizing a profit on his subprime bet. This took a significant toll on Burry. Ultimately, Burry decided to close his hedge fund due to the significant public backlash he faced. In an opinion piece that Burry wrote for the New York Times, he explained why he decided to close Sign Capital. During 2007, under constant pressure from my investors, I liquidated most of our credit default swaps at a substantial profit. By early 2008, I feared the effects of government intervention and exited all our remaining credit default positions by auctioning them to the many Wall Street banks that were themselves by then desperate to buy protection against default. This was well in advance of the government bailouts. Because I had been operating in the face of strong opposition from both my investors and the Wall Street community, it took everything I had to see these trades through to completion. Disheartened on many fronts, I shut down Scion Capital in 2008. The New York Times, April 3, 2010. Some 2021 financial experts seem blinded by confirmation bias. I find it fascinating, that even after ultimately being proven 100% right in his bet against the housing market bubble, some experts today like finance professor Oswath Demodran still throw shade at Burry. According to Demodran, Burry is all washed up and Michael Burry should have retired after his successful big short and should stop tweeting alarming market crash warnings. Hey, I get it. Nobody likes hearing opposing opinions when betting heavily on the wrong side of a massive, speculative bubble. However, at the risk of enraging more experts, readers of this article might find it interesting to know Burry shorted Tesla in early December 2020. As I write this article, Tesla still likely trades slightly above Burry's entry price. However, before rendering judgment, I should remind readers, Tesla traded at approximately its current price only a year ago, before a 5 to 1 split. You are reading that correctly, Tesla 5 exits stock price during an ongoing pandemic without any material change to its business. I like Burry's odds here. Again, asset bubbles don't burst overnight. Remember, Burry fought for a full two years to ultimately be proven right in 2007 to 2008. It will take time to tell who really is washed up and who is just spouting nonsense. However, in my humble opinion, it's honestly hard to believe anyone still believes we aren't experiencing bubbles in many asset classes. If I were forced to make a guess, I'd say Professor Demodran desperately craves publicity. If I were more charitable, perhaps Professor Demodran, and perhaps many, many well-intentioned investors, might be confused about the difference between a bubble and a black swan event. Bubbles versus black swan events. Although some investors might accurately argue world stock markets were overvalued in January of 2020, the sudden crash we saw early last year in stock prices was not a stock market bubble bursting. Rather, it was a black swan event. Black swan events are rare but completely random events characterized by a rapid meltdown in asset prices, often for a very good reason, like a worldwide pandemic.
Bubbles are really the opposite of black swan events. Bubbles are characterized by a rapid melt-up in prices typically followed by a one or two year long unwinding of those overvalued assets. Melt-up is a financial term that refers to a sharp improvement in the performance of the stock market due to reasons other than fundamental improvements in the economy. The improvement in investment performance is mainly driven by investor sentiment, where investors flock into buying stocks because they notice the market rising, and they do not want to miss out on the opportunity. CFI. Black swan events often precede asset bubbles. Although black swan events and bubbles are practically opposite stock market events, there does seem to be a strong correlation between black swan events and the formation of asset bubbles. It turns out, many asset bubbles tend to form and collapse a year or two after the occurrence of a black swan event. For example, the Great Depression, at the end of the Roaring Twenties stock markets were in a massive bubble. Leverage was out of control and investors were convinced stocks could only go up in value. Without warning, the world experienced the 1929 crash, which was sharp, sudden, and even today economists are unsure as to why this black swan event was triggered. Investors, reassured by quickly rebounding stock prices only a few months after the initial plunge, piled back into the stock market. Over a year-long process, one of the largest bull traps in history inflated and collapsed leading to the Great Depression. Japan's bubble economy The 1987 Black Monday crash was almost certainly responsible for the Bank of Japan accidentally overheating both the real estate and stock markets. Excess fiscal stimulus helped asset prices roar back from the 1987 black swan event. Prices continued rising sharply until 1990 before ultimately crashing and slowly unwinding in one of the greatest bear markets of our generation. The tech boom and bust, in late 1998, a red-hot stock market retreated 19% after the collapse of hedge fund long-term capital management. Luckily the Federal Reserve came to the rescue by engineering a $3.5 billion bailout. Investors were relieved and poured even more money into the already severely overpriced NASDAQ. The NASDAQ more than doubled its 1998 peak before ultimately crashing in early 2000. It's worth remembering the NASDAQ ultimately retreated nearly 80% from its 2000 peak. The Great Recession, I'd been working in the financial industry for a number of years before the Great Recession struck. When Bear Stearns went under in March 2008, everyone was shocked. Although the stock market didn't react that much, consumer sentiment fell off a cliff. By the time Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy in September 2008, I remember being completely unnerved. This black swan event, unfortunately, did not include a market rebound. With house prices retreating and the sudden realization by the financial press that there was a massive, but ultimately unknown amount, of derivatives all linked to collapsing mortgage-backed securities called CDOs, the market just kept falling well into 2009. The common denominator. The takeaway here is, central banks tend to consistently stimulate too much and for too long when responding to either recessions or black swan events. Even the housing crisis and Great Recession are often blamed on too much Alan Greenspan stimulus pumped into the economy to escape the 2003-2004 recession. This makes a lot of sense in principle because central bankers don't want to offer too little economic stimulus and then be blamed for letting the economy slip into recession. If instead, if a bubble forms from too much stimulus and then bursts, central bankers can blame excessive investor speculation for causing the subsequent stock market correction or crash. Regardless of the politics behind it, the truth is too much stimulation, for too long, after a recession or black swan event inevitably creates a massive asset bubble.
The problem for investors is, even if you accurately identify a black swan event and subsequent melt-up, like the one we seem to have experienced throughout the second half of 2020, the size and the longevity of the bubble are nearly impossible to predict, asked Michael Burry. Why investors must maintain their discipline. Michael Burry, Jeremy Grantham, Larry Summers, Leon Cooperman, Stanley Druckenmiller, Jeffrey Gundlach, Kevin O'Leary, Robert Kiyosaki, and Gary Schilling now all believe we are experiencing the last gasps of irrational exuberance, and most of these guys also believe we are going to experience a very serious downturn or an outright crash in asset prices, soon. Those who agree we are experiencing a widespread asset bubble generally seem to believe the Federal Reserve is refusing to act, when it is becoming clearer by the day that inflation pressures are mounting. The typical U.S. home price is up a record 13.2% compared to last year, according to Zillow, source. Average Canadian house prices are up 38% compared to last year, but down from March, source. The FAO food price index averaged 124.6 points in June 2021, down 2.5% from May, but still 33.9% higher than its level in the same period last year. Used car prices exploded in 2021 but the trend appears to be reversing, source. U.S. wages have suddenly jumped. Salary inflation could be considerably harder to reverse than other sources of inflation, particularly if it somehow triggers a wage price spiral. Source. Yet, for many sectors of the market, we've probably already seen the peak. Cryptocurrencies are down 50% or more. Green energy is down nearly as much. Recovery stocks appear to be slowing and mega-cap tech seems to be about the only game left in town. Although investors can't be sure when we will finally see a significant downturn in the broader market, warning signs continue to pile up. Perhaps the Federal Reserve is reacting too slowly, but I think this is a counter-argument. Perhaps the Fed sees something we don't, yet. Perhaps, regardless of how big the bubble in asset prices grows, the Federal Reserve continues to fight an even bigger economic problem, deflation. Consumer expectations may be more powerful than fiscal policy. In fact, I'm starting to believe the Federal Reserve when they say inflation will be transitory. Investors and companies continue to hoard cash. Although there's been a recent explosion in spending as economies open up, the question is, will those investors and corporations keep spending that cash if they think the economy is in bad shape and things will start getting cheaper in the future? Of course, the answer is no, they will go back to hoarding cash. Why buy a car today when you can fix the old one and buy a car at a considerable discount next year? This is exactly the kind of thinking that still plagues Japan today, 30 years after the bubble economy burst. How is it the over the last 30 years the greatest financial minds in Japan invented and tried all of the quantitative easing techniques the Federal Reserve is using today, yet still continually fails to create steady, low inflation? Japan has already proven through unprecedented financial experimentation. Massive bailouts and 0% interest rates don't have enough stimulating power to keep an economy from slipping into recession or deflation if the entire country anticipates further price deflation. So why does the Federal Reserve think they will produce a different result? What's left in the Federal Reserve's quiver? Will they try propping up the stock market by buying stocks indirectly through ETF purchases like the Bank of Japan? Maybe, but what would that do to fair price discovery and the confidence of investors? The truth is, governments have spent a fortune fighting the pandemic and central banks are quickly running out of options. When you feel like throwing in the towel and purchasing stocks at all-time P ratios, I suggest you ask yourself one simple question, 
Is the economy somehow stronger today, after over a year-long pandemic and multiple economic shutdowns, than it was in January 2020? Of course, the answer is, it couldn't possibly be stronger. In fact, it must be much, much, weaker. Yet, after all of these arguments, if you still feel your resolve continuing to weaken, I get it. Betting against a bubble requires unbelievable investing discipline, just ask Michael Burry. Disclosure, I hold no positions in any of the companies mentioned in this article. Please seek professional advice before making any investment decisions.